0: Hello, my name is Tom Boone.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Coming up today, I'll see what the ex-IAG CEO and new IATA Director General thinks about the hopes for a transatlantic travel corridor, while Tom will take a look at why it's not coming home, but you could soon.
0: (laughs) Joe will take a look at a potential big aircraft order from a European airline, and I'll look over the other side of the uh, the Atlantic at United's third weird order of the year.
1: (laughs) Finally, I'll tell you about a Boeing 707 restaurant that has been more than two decades in the making.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show and tell me about this transatlantic corridor thing, because I can never see it ending.
1: It does seem to be a never ending situation. So, you know, it kind of it remains the final frontier. We're starting to see a lot of relaxation to other parts of the world. Um, You Mm. know, intra-European is starting to open up, but... Um, in terms of the US to UK travel corridor, it's just not happening. Um, and yeah. if you remember, back at the start of June, we heard the CEOs of several major airlines who are, are normally quite, um, you know, harsh competitors with each other, all coming yeah. together to call for this opening to happen. It was uh, the CEOs of American, British Airlines, uh, Airways, uh, Delta, <laughs> British <JetBlue>. Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not awake yet. Um, United, Virgin, the US Travel Association and Heathrow airport um, and they all practically begged for the corridor ahead of the G7 meeting. Mm. Um, Sadly, the G7 resulted in no such agreement being made. Um, However, Willie Walsh thinks that it was just bad timing Um, So the former boss of British Airways parent, IAG, and now IATA's director general, believes that some relaxation will happen in the coming weeks. Um, His words were, we're optimistic that based on the data, this could and indeed should happen. Now, he's saying that the Delta variant, which, of course, was the variant first discovered in India, but is now all over the UK, um, and general lack of information around it was what put back anything happening at the G7. It was all still Mm. quite new to us then. Um, But he says now much more is known about it. And he makes the point that actually it's already rife on both sides of the Atlantic. So here in the UK, 97% of our COVID cases are the Delta variant. But actually, yeah, (laughs) but actually in the US, 47% of their cases are the Delta variant. Canada's at 50%, Mexico's at 74%. So it's clear that in both regions, the Delta variant exists. So it makes no sense to have the border closed. Yeah. <laughs> because of this variant of concern. Um, he mm. also said that we now know a lot more about the efficacy of the vaccines, um, you know, that they they still work against severe v- symptoms of the variant, even if they don't stop you getting them. You know, the, the hospitalisation rate has been much, much lower for the number of daily yep. cases we're getting here in the UK. We we feel like the world's guinea pigs at the moment for the vaccine, <laughs> but uh, it, the good news is they're working. Um, and he believes that armed with this information, governments will be keen to relax at some point in the coming weeks that is if decisions are made based on science (laughs) you know basically all the evidence says that it should open and it can open and it won't make any difference if it does open but uh you know, that's really all we can hope for is that the science will lead the decision makers now. But, you know, in the past, that's not been what happened. So, yeah, uh, who Science knows? hasn't
0: really, really been the sort of strong point for these decisions, has it?
1: <laughs> not really. So, uh, as per usual, we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, all the evidence points to... A safe reopening, um, and I mm. know we all want it. You know, we we were delighted to see JetBlue arriving in London for the first time this week. They uh, they're doing their proving flights to London Heathrow. No passengers on board, of course, but uh, they're going to do, I think, three rotations between now and the end of this month, ahead of their inaugural flight in August, um, which I should be on if I'm allowed to go. (laughs) So, (laughs) on a personal level, I am desperate for the the border to reopen. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed, absolutely.
0: Well, one thing that's going to help, at least in one direction, is that the UK is finally scrapping quarantine for vaccinated travellers from amber countries. So this is going to happen on July 19th, which you guys are knowing as Freedom Day, although it seems like it's just going to be people getting told to isolate by an app day. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but leaving politics out of this, um, you know, like it's it's great to see that the UK government seems to finally be taking some reasonable steps to facilitate international travel because 2021 so far has... I I can't really use the words I want to describe it on a podcast that's not labelled as explicit, but it's not (laughs) been good for UK aviation, has it? Not Um, really. But the government has now decided that um, vaccinated travellers, so fully vaccinated, so if you've had uh, uh, 14 days, I think, after your second um, shot of the two-shot ones or 14 days after the first shot of the single shot one, you're going to be considered fully vaccinated. And then if you travel from an amberless country, they're basically going to treat you as if you've come from a green country. So that means you still need to take a rapid test before departure and you've got to take a day two PCR test. But uh, the requirement to quarantine and the day eight PCR test is not going to stick around for the time being and um you may be wondering well what am I going to do if I'm traveling with kids um to facilitate this anyone um aged under 18 is not going to have to uh, isolate either or take the day eight test because the UK isn't allowing under 18s to get vaccinated right now unlike other countries such as Germany no are you vaccinating
1: under 18s I didn't know that
0: yeah Yeah, you have to be, um, if you're 12 or over, I think in Germany, you can get the vaccine. Um, So, fun times. (laughs) Um, But interestingly, it sounds really exciting, but it's not. Because for someone like me, who's fully vaccinated in uh, Europe, the UK couldn't care less right now. uh, Which I think is really interesting, because the UK tried really hard to get European countries to accept the NHS app because originally some like Malta were saying we're not taking the NHS app. So they've gone to all of this effort to accept the NHS app, but they're not happy to accept the European health passport or any of oh. this fun stuff. Um so it's good news for you, Joe, but not so much um <laughs> for anyone for else. <laughs> yeah. Um and it was interesting because even the British Airways CEO Sean Doyle picked up on this, saying that the government needs to quickly extend this to all vaccinated travelers and agree a reciprocal deal with the US <laughs> and add more countries to the Green List.
1: Yeah, <laughs> basically so, sort it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it well, it, it needs to I it's I don't think it's fair even just, uh, for the UK to say to other countries that you need to accept our vaccine passport and then not launch a system that accepts others, you know, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Well, fingers crossed something changes on that front soon, but, uh, yeah. what we do like to hear about, um, is new aircraft orders and, mm. uh, I'm sure we're not quite as delighted as Boeing and Airbus are about <laughs> new aircraft orders, but we're we're pretty delighted. Um and are hot on the heels of United's bumper narrow body order, which we discussed in some detail last week. Um, the plane makers could be gearing up for another order pretty soon uh, because Air France KLM Group has issued a tender to both plane makers for up to 160 new short and medium haul aircraft. Um, And apparently these planes would be destined both for KLM itself and for the low-cost subsidiaries Transavia. And that's uh, both Transavia France and Transavia Netherlands. Um, So this was a bit of a surprise because uh, CEO Ben Smith revealed it in an interview with a a Dutch publication. Um, And he he said basically that they've been doing bits in this area. It's been on the agenda since 2004, so a really long time. Um, But it's never been put in place as it is quite as it as it is right now. Um, And Mm -hmm. he's pleased to be able to put together the order, which will be the largest in the group's history. So uh, exciting times. Um, We fully expect that both manufacturers will come back with proposals that include their latest generation narrowbody jets. You know, even though Smith is talking about um, short and medium haul. Those those new generation jets are more than capable of medium haul. Um, yeah. So I, I can't imagine there will be any um, inkling of any wide bodies in this. It will be narrow bodies again. Um, mm. So which one will they go for? <laughs> it's, uh, the 80-20. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the jury's kind of out because KLM is very much a Boeing airline. You know, it, yeah. it did place some, some orders for A350s in the past, but in the end, all of those got transferred to Air France to operate Um, and similarly Air France is Dreamliner orders all got shifted across to the Dutch airline. It's short haul fleet, um, narrow body fleet is all Boeing 737s, all NG variants. It's got some really old ones in there. You know the the average age um, goes from just over 10 years for the 700s up to over 20 years for the 900s. So they are pretty desperate for a larger um, narrow body solution. Um, Those are very old planes. Um, But the two Transavia's, Transavia France and Transavia Netherlands, they're also Boeing narrow-body operators. Um, They both rely on the NG as well, um, although their fleets are a little bit younger. Um, Mm. However, the Transavia Netherlands does have a bunch of 700s that are now averaging over 18 years old, so they're clearly quite keen for some replacements for those. So, I mean, all the evidence would say that they would go to Boeing and and look at the 737 MAX as a replacement for all these aircraft. However, I think there's a bit of a wild-card here in that Transavia France uses a lot of the um, MRO facilities that belong to Air France. And with Air France being so heavily weighted towards Airbus, it is possible we could see a split order and potentially see Transavia France going over to Airbus a bit like Mm. um, Air France, while Transavia Netherlands sticks with the the Boeing option um, to stay in line with uh, with its KLM Um, group, sister, brother, whatever you call it.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's always good to have variation because as we saw with the Max uh, saga, you know, you don't want to just put all your eggs in one basket, although that's generally a sort of good thing for low cost carriers.
1: Yeah, it is. Um you know, and I think within the fleet they will retain uniformity, but whether they retain uniformity across all mm. three airlines, I think is up for some debate, but uh, yeah. I guess that we'll, you know, it'll be a few weeks before they come back with their proposals, so maybe by the end of the summer we'll hear who they're going to plump, plump for and uh, you know, I think it'll be a boost for both manufacturers potentially.
0: Mm. Well, I wanted to stick on the order theme and talk about United Airlines because they are throwing it away or like they're they're batting it out of the park with weird and wonderful orders this year. Um,
1: Buy everything.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I know you mentioned... um, The huge order last week, but we've got another 200 aircraft orders potentially this week. So, the airline revealed now that it wants to have electric planes that it can fly by 2026. And it's signed agreements to acquire 100 of these 19 seater aircraft from a company called Heart Aerospace, but also the partner airline, uh, Mesa Airlines, who runs United Express, has signed up for another of the 100 planes. So, you know, it's it's very much keeping with the airline's sort of eco, um, it's it's eco, um, I don't know the word, goals. Esca- <laughs> yeah, eco again. goals, eco goals. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Um, it's very much sort of sticking with that because United has been sort of very fairly this year. We want sustainable fuels. We want to cut our emissions. We want this. We want that. Um, it's interesting though because I've always, like f- fully electric flight has always been a divisive topic. I remember sitting in a talk at the Paris Air Show in 2019 where um, I think it was the lead of innovation at Airbus said it's just Im- uh, impossible to make a sort of reasonable size narrow body that can carry enough people that's mm. fully electric. Yeah. Um, of course, this is going to be sl- not so big, it's only going to carry 19 passengers, um, up to 250 miles, so not even that far. Um, they it, reckon It's almost United- like an
1: air taxi, isn't it? Like a larger, like an air yeah, minibus, like I a, guess. <laughs> it, it, yeah,
0: exactly. That That's what it would be. Um, I reckon, so they, they're reckoning that um, it should be able to fly by the end of the decade, but they're hoping within five years that it will enter commercial service, which is quite ambitious, I think, considering that, you know, like we haven't really heard much about this plane uh, other than Finnair said it was interested in it a couple of months back. Mm. Um, You know, five years to sort of nail down the design, build test aircraft and then achieve certification for the plane. I, I'm not saying it's not doable, but I, I do think it's a little ambitious considering yeah. it's a new, new technology. It's not even like, yeah, you're not like relying on the pr- uh, tried and tested jet engine, you know, like yeah. electric aircraft is going to be Completely new, because you know like what if the, the power dies um, <laughs> yeah, you know you can say the same about jet aircraft, but I don 't think it's as likely, um, but anyway, you know it's interesting because the aircraft are going to have zero operational emissions because obviously the motors are powered by batteries, but I'm not sure the aircraft can be called totally carbon free because we don't know where the electricity to power the aircraft is going to come from and it could come well come from like coal power plants or Well
1: this is the uh, this is the fuels. thing about all these electric planes and electric cars hmm. you know they're only I mean yeah they're emissions free at source but that yeah. power came from somewhere and until there's enough wind farms or solar panels or whatever to provide all the power for all these vehicles all we're doing hmm. is Burning more coal to produce electricity, so it's like yeah. you know you can't walk around saying you're carbon free because you drive a an electric car because you've got a Tesla because you know you're, you're still using the power from your house. So unless you've got yeah. a completely grid free home that powers mm. your car, you, you're just kidding yourself. Sorry, ranchover. Yeah. over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what I do think is interesting is straight away United has said that the aircraft could be seen in the likes of Chicago O'Hare and San Francisco. So you know the. They they have serious plans for this, obviously. Yeah. Um, I just kind of wonder what we're going to see next because you know it comes um, last week we had the 200 Boeing orders and the 70 Airbus A321 Neos two months ago we had 50 supersonic aircraft from (laughs) Boom Supersonic with 15 of them being firm and they want to be flying by 2029 and then even in February we had um, 200 alongside Mesa Airlines again electric um, air taxis for 60 mile connections so you know this is the electric electric minibus, and
1: <laughs> that's
0: the uh, taxi. So they're going to have 400 of these flying electric things maybe by the end of the decade <laughs> if they get what they want. I'm just waiting for them to sort of order the the Have Airship that you love so yeah. much next. <laughs> the
1: flying buttocks, as we like yeah. to call it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's why not? Like,
0: I mean, good on them for ordering, but I genuinely wonder how many of these are going to stick because, you know, it just seems like they're throwing
1: mud every wall all wolf. of their
0: eggs are everything right now
1: yeah yeah Oh, I, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting strategy and it's yeah. kind of weird to see an airline being quite so frivolous with its investments mm. in the face of what we've been through in the last couple of years. Um, and it does feel a little bit like they want to try everything. It's yeah. like, you know, just calm down a little bit and <laughs> wait and <laughs> see. But uh, I guess with all these contracts, you know, if the technology doesn't prove itself, I'm sure they've got it all tied up with lots of small yeah. print that says if it doesn't meet these criteria, we can back out mm. with no pay penalties at all so um yeah. you and know i, mean, I guess like, it puts them at the front of the queue for... if it ends up being good and if it's bad then yeah. they can walk away so
0: yeah and uh, good on them for actually doing something because you know they while they're looking at electric planes that other people are saying aren't going to happen uh, you know like ba is kind of in with its uh, hydrogen plane but a lot of airlines are sort of just sitting back and waiting and that was the whole problem we had with sustainable aviation fuel because everyone was sitting back and waiting and the people that did go for it are now paying a premium because it's just not cost effective yeah um, yeah. because people are sitting back and waiting and you just kind of need everyone to go in at once
1: yeah definitely Well good luck to them and I'll uh, I'll yeah. be delighted if they do have all these different things flying around in the in the next 10-15 yeah. years it will be cool. <laughs> mm. So to wrap up today I wanted to um just chat through a little story. It's not a particularly groundbreaking aviation story, but it was a lovely story that caught my eye last week. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've we seen old jets used as lots of different things like hotels, office space. You know, some people even build their homes in them. Um, yeah. So it's not unusual. I want to do that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but a pair of Palestinian twins who are called Atala and Kamis Al-Sarifa, they're following the trend by turning an old 707 into a restaurant in the West Bank nothing unusual there, but the project has been like 20 years in the making these Hmm. brothers actually bought the plane back in 1999 Um, apparently they were they were working on a construction site when they became aware of a Boeing 707 gathering moss near Kiryat Shmona in the north of Israel Um, and they went to the the owner and approached the owner to buy it and in the end they got the plane with no engines for $100,000 so a bit of a bargain Hmm. really Um, you know they didn't mind not having the engines because even if the plane had been operating They couldn't have flown it where they wanted to go because there are no airports in the West Bank. So literally the only option was to transport it by road. Um, These brothers paid $20,000 to a haulage company to move the 707. um, And the trip took 13 hours to complete. Um, And of course, it was further complicated by the... The kind of strong divide in Israel, they had to coordinate with the authorities on both the Israeli and the Palestinian sides. Um, roads had to be closed. Uh, the wings were removed, of course, for transport, and police from yeah. both sides had to intervene to manage the the safety of the transfer. Um, so it arrived in early 2000, and straight away they knew that they wanted to turn it into a very special restaurant. Um, however there was a, around that time there was an uprising in palestine which um you know erupted in lots of violence and they basically had to put their their plans back um and then when they were ready to restart coronavirus came and slowed things yeah. down again um but now you know they're at the stage where it's almost ready and it looks pretty cool um do check it out on our site um they've so they've they've reattached the wings rather roughly they they don't look like they'd stay on for very long if it actually had to fly Um, but they've they've done they put the wings back on ish and they've done the groundworks around the planes there's lots of parking and they're going to turn into a bit of a garden and they've even secured a pair of clapped out air stair carts from Ben Gurion airport you can still see the Hebrew writing on the side um, to provide the access to the doors of the plane Um, but you know the biggest changes have been on the inside they've completely fitted out Um, the floor with a nice wood flooring they've um, installed um, a lining and white paint on the inside there's spotlights on the ceiling you know it looks very homely and there's even a couple of air conditioning units in the in Mm. the cabin which is going to be a must in the sweltering heat of israel Um, they can send one here (laughs) (laughs) so yeah tables and chairs still need to go in as does a catering kitchen but they're well on the way they think it's going to be open within a couple of weeks um, and they want to—they want to call it the Palestinian Jordanian airline restaurant coffee shop Al Safiri Nabulus so it's not and not can we like suggest do. adding
0: another word to that <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not the catchiest name for a restaurant but i guess you know when you're serving meals in a boeing 707 you don't need a catchy name because people yeah. will know <laughs> i get the feeling people will just call it the plane restaurant but, yeah uh, we're just going
0: to the plane <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they're very colorful characters there's some awesome photos on our site do check it out if you've got a minute because it was mm. uh, it was really good fun um so yeah i think that's about all we've got time for today I hope you enjoyed this podcast and as usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com.
0: For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.